All right, guys. Well, welcome to our Sunday. Um, I hope you are ready for uh, just God's Word to speak and minister into your life today. Uh, I think it's an important day for us. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to Proverbs chapter 6. This is where we're going to be today, Proverbs 6, 1 through 19. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, this is such a, a strange thing, but I'll just kind of say it. I am all for uh, the digital devices. I, I use a computer, Logos Bible software as my uh, preferred platform for studying the scriptures and getting ready for messages and things like that. But from time to time, I just it's important to remind you to actually grab a physical Bible and open it up. Have a pencil or a pen ready. Be somebody who, in your learning, there's a, a tactile element to it, something that slows you down, that will keep you from swiping over to the next app and, and just getting off on a, on a brain tangent for a little bit. Just doing the work of saying, I want to focus my attention on the Word of God so that I can drink deeply from it. Uh, it's a it's an important thing. The the written word has not been around for uh, forever, at least accessible to all people. That's only a it's a recent invention of a few hundred years, and um, and so with with having it, it is a treasure. We want to make sure that we do value it and absorb it deeply. So, anyways, I'll get off that soapbox, but I did just want to encourage you with that. Uh, last week, my dad, Steve Larson, was preaching, and I was listening. I was in the room and just listening to him preach, and uh, you know, it, it was interesting for me to hear it because that's the wisdom that I grew up with. Like, honestly, hearing my dad share his thoughts last week from the scriptures, um, there's not a lot of new revelation going on. Like, I was hearing him preach these things, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's what he's been saying to me for you know, well, 41 years, he wasn't really saying those things to me as an infant. And if he was, I don't remember it. But I, I loved hearing what he had to say. It just, it felt like God's word was, was preaching. And I was curious, just as I was hearing this and thinking of how familiar it was, if it was familiar to you, is the wisdom of God familiar to you? Is it what you have embedded deeply inside of you. Some of you are newer to the story of walking with Jesus. And so this is like, it's like new stuff. You're, you're learning a new skill, like, almost like learning a new sport. And you're, you're kind of getting the hang of it a little bit. And for others of you, this is what you've been doing for years and years and years. But I hope that in moments like that, when you get to hear that wisdom uh, from God's word, it's regardless of whether you're brand new or you've been doing it for a long time, it is deeply refreshing to hear the wisdom of God, the way of God. That's what I'm hoping for today. Uh, as we look at this chapter six, the, the goal for today is to talk about um, wisdom in our everyday lives. Uh, the, the challenge is wisdom is, is both dynamic and static. So wisdom has this static element. There is objective wisdom. God's way is God's word. It's spoken. Uh, it's, it's been written for all time for us to be able to read and absorb and learn God's way. And so wisdom is static. But it's also dynamic in the fact that uh, the world is constantly changing, ever evolving, moving, shaking. Things are different today than they were 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago or, or five months ago. Things are different and different days require, well, not different wisdom, but a fresh application of God's way. God's wisdom is dynamic in that it, it goes into 
every aspect of our lives, every circumstance, every situation, doesn't matter how different it gets, God's word applies. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That picture is so essential. But part of our challenge is that uh, many of us have learned the, the static wisdom. Like we maybe we studied the word of God. We, we might have read it uh, over the course of a year. I don't know if you've ever done the Bible in a year. So the, the words of God are kind of embedded into your heart. Maybe you've memorized some scriptures. Uh, you did some sword drills as a kid. You know how to find things in the Bible. You've got kind of the static element of God's wisdom is there. But the dynamic aspect is that we need to live out that wisdom. We need to live out God's way, the way of Jesus, so that wisdom as a concept can take full root in our lives. It has to be lived out. Otherwise, it's just knowledge. It's just this kind of static thing that has no impact on who we are and how we live. So today we're gonna look at Proverbs 6 and it's gonna cover four essentially categories the circumstances that we're going to read about are probably not the circumstances that you're interacting in, with in your life. And you could look at these and just be like, yeah, this is so dated. This is not the life that we live. Solomon had no idea what he was talking about. And if you were to say that, you would be a fool. This is wisdom that was written thousands of years ago that God will take and apply to every intricate situation of your life today. And so we want to see how these uh, these wisdom concepts, these biblical realities can be applied to whatever circumstance you're facing. So buckle up. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 19. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we will dig in. All right, it says this, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly, in a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. All right, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this and bless our lives. Jesus, we need you to speak into our lives and to show us your way. Teach us wisdom, Lord. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen. All right, the first thing we're going to cover is integrity. 
All right, if you look at verses one through five, we're dealing with some circumstances that uh, most of us probably have not found ourselves in. But the author, Solomon, gives three particular situations. He says, my son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, if you've given pledge for a stranger, or if you are snared in the words of your mouth. He gives his son these three scenarios that may have been pretty normal, pretty standard back in the day, but really you and I, we just don't do things like that all that often. We're not, uh, we're not holding debt for our neighbors. We're not uh, giving pledge for a stranger or vouching for somebody whose character we don't know. Uh, and being snared in the words of your mouth, that actually probably is happening more often than we want. But uh, there's a situation here. Solomon is saying, my son, I want you to think of this. If you find yourself in a situation that you shouldn't be in, there's a way to handle it and there's a way not to handle it. Okay, a uh, common movie plot. I don't know how many of you guys are screenwriters, but uh, you, can, you can make your play on this, but it seems pretty common. Uh, there's some lead character that finds themselves in troubling circumstances, and what you typically end up seeing is bad decision after bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and the movie, you're just, I don't know if your anxiety just starts to rise in these kinds of movies, but it just starts to like fill up, like I cannot believe that these people are not making better decisions than this, and you see the ruin that comes from devastating decision after devastating decision. And the author of Proverbs here wants his son to have the integrity that when he makes a mistake, see, if you look at those three things, putting up security for your neighbor, pledging for a stranger, being snared in the words of your mouth, they're three avoidable situations if you're living wisdom from other parts of Proverbs. But Solomon's saying, look, if you find yourself in a bad place, there's a way to handle it. It's the way of integrity. Integrity is that element of character that chooses to do the right thing. It's the idea that, I mean, you may have heard it, uh, your integrity is who you are when nobody's watching. It's the idea of like, okay, all I'm really accountable to here in this moment is myself, the only person where these circumstances will get, uh, will get ruined. I could get in a, in a bad place right now. And, and Solomon's saying to his son, here's how to get out of it. Save yourself. He says, I want you to go, hasten, plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Go deal head on, straight on with these broken circumstances. Fix them. He's not saying run away from them. You might think of that with the uh, gazelle escaping from the hand of the hunter. The hunter in this situation is the ruinous consequences of increasingly bad decisions. He says you can escape that. But you can get out of a situation where things are going from bad to worse by dealing with them with integrity. Find the right thing to do. Go straight up. Take care of things with your neighbor. Go straight up. Deal with the words that you've said that were inappropriate, that were hurtful, that were destructive. Go. As a person of integrity, choose right now to go and repent and say, I did wrong. I need to deal with this. My encouragement to you 
as you start to think through this life of living out wisdom is I don't know all the broken circumstances that you end up finding yourselves in. Some caused by bad decisions, some caused by the bad decisions of others, uh, things that, that you find yourself in, circumstances that you find yourself in. Uh, what you can do as a person of God is at any point, this is the power of the gospel, that we have repentance on our side. At any moment, you can realize, I have been doing wrong. I need to repent, and I'm going to go and make these things right. And you can, you can end the flow of ruinous consequences by turning in repentance and dealing in integrity as you move forward. I don't know, maybe you've heard the example of a slippery slope. The idea of getting caught up in something and just, just kind of going beyond and beyond and beyond and beyond. But, but the challenge of this situation is that, that God wants you to stop that progress. And you can do that by standing up with integrity and dealing with the things that you're facing. And you will, you will walk out the consequences in that moment. But what's important, what's necessary is that you stop that flow of ruin. And God's given you the power to do that. How does the gospel give you integrity? The gospel teaches you repentance. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven? Kind of smirked at that and just been like, yeah, it's probably too much theology to try and cram on a bumper sticker. Honestly, all theology is too much theology to try and cram on a bumper sticker. But uh, the reality of that bumper sticker is that there isn't this call to perfection, but there is a call to repentance. And you might be saying, Matt, it says be perfect or be holy as I am holy. And yes, the standard is holiness. But the grace that God gives us is to walk into that holiness as fallen, fallible, broken human beings through the pathway of confession, repentance, forgiveness, grace applied, reconciliation. We have the opportunity to walk in integrity where we did not before. The Spirit of God will give you a way out now. So here's what I want to encourage you with. If currently, now, in this moment, you are in a bad situation, and you get to define the bad situation. I don't actually, there's too many of them out there for, for them all to, to be articulated in a sermon. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's relational. Uh, honestly, maybe it's, uh, it's actually like legal issues, corrupt legal issues. I don't know what the situation might be that you're finding yourself in. Ethical, whatever. You have the opportunity right now to turn your heart to Jesus to confess and repent and move forward in righteousness and holiness. You can do that right now. That's the power of the gospel to work in you. And what Proverbs is trying to bring us to this place of saying, stop making bad decisions, turn and go. And that's part of integrity. It's not living perfection, but even if you've made those broken choices, to turn and move towards the way of Jesus. Okay, that's the first section. The second one, Solomon uses the ant as a picture for this next point. And he wants to make it known to us that we can actually uh, live a diligent life full of initiative or we can live a sluggardly life. Now, I just want to say this. Um, the opposite of diligence is referred to often in the scriptures as being a sluggard. It's one of those uh, names or character descriptors that I'm guessing you would rather not be said about you. So... I would say pay attention to this if, uh, if you are 
rightfully afraid of being called a sluggard. How about that? Here we go. Solomon says, go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. I'm going to tell you a way out of laziness. I'm going to teach you a way out of being a sluggard. You look at the ant. There's something about the ant that he wants us to find out. He wants us to see uh, that there is a different way. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Okay, two concepts here that we're going to look at side by side. Diligence and initiative. Okay, the initiative is that the ant, without having any chief officer or ruler, does her job. Okay, I want you to think about this for just a moment. What do you do in life that nobody's telling you what to do but it is absolutely the right thing to do. That's the kind of initiative that comes from the presence of God in your life. The wisdom that God brings to you is choosing from in you, the spirit of God in you, motivating you to say, I am going to do what needs to be done in this moment. Okay, that's the initiative that, uh, that Solomon's trying to point out. I want you to look at the ant. That's how the ant operates. Nobody's telling him what to do. Nobody's saying that she needs to go and do these things, but she does it. She gets it done. She takes care of business. She makes it happen. She does the work that needs to be done in the moment. We'll come back to that. It says this, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The ant does the work that needs to be done and is diligent to complete it. Okay, initiative begins the work and diligence completes the work. And the idea of wisdom lived out is that we need initiative and diligence if we are going to live the way of Jesus. We need these character qualities to be true about us. Solomon continues, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Okay, a couple of things to talk about here. First of all, God is not opposed to rest. That's not the point of this. The Sabbath day is embedded into the life of Israel. The picture of rest is given to us. It's an essential part of being a productive member of society and being a follower of Jesus is understanding the, the worship that comes from choosing to rest. So just know that that's there. But another thing that we see with this is that the picture is going to be different. It's going to be different for you than it is for these people back in these agricultural days where uh, sleeping through a season would miss an entire harvest. But the point is simply applicable that there are things that need to be done. Day in and day out, there are things that need to be done and there are thousands of micro decisions that need to be made every day. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you are exhausted by those thousands of micro decisions that need to be made every single day? How many of you feel like giving up? How extra hard is this in quarantine? The couch is so alluring. The idea of your phone and just being able to scroll endlessly and just flip through whatever the app is. It doesn't even have to be Instagram. It could be, it could be any app. You could just find your escape on your phone and just go and go and go. And all of a sudden, 15 minutes are gone. 30 minutes are gone. You've been on there for an hour and a half and this, the time just, just floats away. 
Well, wisdom has a different way. It has initiative and diligence. We can struggle on both ends. We can struggle with initiative, just actually going from immobility to mobility. So how, do I, how do I go from this place of, of not moving and not wanting to do anything to producing, to actually starting? The Spirit of God actually wants to shape that in you. Wants to shape in you right choosing, being alert, being sober-minded, being aware of the day, the enemy, the things at hand, and to choose righteousness, to actually take a step forward. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That means take a step. The Spirit of God actually wants to move you forward in your life, to choose to advance. He wants to start things in you. Now, I know I'm being generic and we'll get specific in just a minute, but let's move to diligence. Some of us have a harder time with the idea of sticking with it, staying until the job is complete, actually finishing the things that are in front of us. Why does wisdom care? Why does the wisdom of Jesus, the way of Jesus care if you initiate and you're diligent in your life? Because God is an initiator and a finisher. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus declared, it is finished. The idea of initiative and diligence are in the very nature and character of God. Laziness is not. Rest is. That's different than laziness. Choosing intentional rest, Sabbath rest, is different than laziness. God's way is a way of moving forward. And he wants to train that in you. He wants to teach you to advance. So how does the gospel train us to take initiative and to be diligent? Here's how it works. When we take our lives and we give them over to Jesus and we're filled by the Spirit of God, we now have this asset in us, this, uh, this element of of connection to us that can help us with these things. Let's just say you're up against the battle for your day. You're trying to decide to be lazy or to be um, productive. And I know that that decision is a real thing. I've been there. Like regularly I find myself in that place. Do I be lazy or do I be diligent? And maybe the words don't always come out of my brain like that, but you know the scene. Correct me if I'm wrong. Text me if I'm way off base. Shoot me an email if I'm out of control here. But I'm pretty sure all of us are dealing with this on a daily basis. If we submit those things to the Spirit of God, He actually leads us. Holy Spirit, what should I do right now? Should I, A, take a load off, put my feet up, flip through my phone for half an hour, hour and a half, six and a half hours, should I play Clash of Clans for the next four days? Should I, should I, should I? Or should I get the things done that are in front of me? They might not even be spiritual things. I gotta pay some bills. I've gotta finish, finish a project in the backyard. I've gotta read the word of God. I've gotta lead my kids and speak to them and have a relationship with them. I've gotta call somebody that needs encouragement. I've gotta go and put my head over the fence and say hi to my neighbor. I've got to make a meal. I've got to go to work. I've got to do the things that are in front of me. I know those feel like little things, but they take initiative and they take diligence. 
And the Spirit of God wants to refine that in you to make you into a person that reflects the character and nature of God. I know I'm taking a lot of time on that one. I can move on. But man, that feels like something that we are all battling with right now. So let's continue on. Let's go to our third one. The third one that Solomon deals with is pure motives. He starts off in verse 12 and says, A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. Okay, uh, just throwing this out there. Those are pretty cultural things. You might be looking at that thinking, okay, what in the world is going on? Winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. Uh, those don't feel like the kinds of things that make any sense to me at all. Well, it continues. He says, with per perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord, and therefore calamity will come upon him. Suddenly, in a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Here's what this is talking about. It's talking about a person's motives for the way they approach life. Some people, maybe you, are trying to cut corners in life, trying to get away with things, trying to make it just get by, do the minimum, not really follow the rules, not really obey the morality or the ethics of the situation, just kind of skirt to get things done. Solomon saying to his son, that's not how this is supposed to go. The way of Jesus is the way of righteousness. But it starts with motive. Look at the, the statement here in verse 14. With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Now the picture that Solomon gives is somebody with a, a perverted heart. And I know sometimes we think of that sexually. That's not even really what it's talking about in this particular moment, but rather a perverse heart or a, a heart that is twisted. It's a, it's a heart that in its motives, just trying to get around the proper way of living. The way of Jesus says, that's not who we are anymore. One of the things that the gospel does is it sanctifies us. A picture of sanctification is a big word that comes from the Latin word sanctus, which just means holy. It's the holification of the Christian. It's the entrance of the Holy Spirit into your life and his diligent work to purify you over the course of your life. And one of the things that he wants to purify is your motives. The why behind the what. He wants to take away the false motives from the things that you do. Are you a manipulative person? Do you do things to try and get other people to do things for you? In your marriage, are you trying to manipulate your spouse? As a parent, are you trying to manipulate your kids? As an employee, are you trying to manipulate your boss? Or vice versa, as a boss, are you trying to manipulate your employees? Are you always trying to get the, the world to fall in your favor but doing it in a way where you express these, these motives that are impure, crooked, and twisted. Jesus wants to do something with that. He does not want to leave that alone. He actually wants to bring a spirit of conviction and say, I want to do things the right way, even if it costs me even if it's uncomfortable, even if it feels out of character, even if it feels harder to do things that way, he actually wants me to do things the right way and choose a pure heart 
to choose pure motives for doing things daily that I do. God cares about your motives, and the gospel has come to purify them. And he does not want this in verse 15. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. That is not God's desire for you, but that is the ruinous consequences of a person who's constantly going at life from a crooked angle. He's saying, I don't want that for you. I want to purify your heart. I want to be the refiner's fire in your life. I want to carry my way into who you are and why you do what you do. I'll just say this. This may be one that deals pretty exclusively between you and God. There may not be anybody that really sees your motives or understands the depth of depravity as to why you would do the things that you're doing, especially in like a marriage or a parenting situation. It may just be that there's something selfish in you. There's something wicked in you that God wants to work out. He wants to purify even the why behind the what. And that may be something that right now you need to be submitting to God and saying, okay, there is, there is a brokenness in me that just wants to get away with things. I don't want to get away with things. I want to walk righteously before my God. So he wants to teach you pure motives. The last one, this one's an interesting one. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Uh, we're going to talk about humility through this section. And that might not sound like the thing that naturally comes, but we'll get there. First in verse 16, six things that the Lord hates and seven that are an abomination to him. If that's a confusing sentence, it's designed to be poetic. Like it, it's literally designed to draw your eyes to the passage. And the, the language is so profound. Six things that the Lord hates. And what the word that's used here means is it has this like soul repulsion, uh, this idea of stomach turning. It's a, it's a picture that's so uneasy that God is, is disgusted by these things. That's the picture that Solomon's writing with. Six things that make the Lord want to wretch Seven that are an abomination to him. He can't even look at. I, I just want you to hear that. The, the language that Solomon chooses to use is unbelievably harsh. And it's designed to draw your eyes in to see what's happening. Now we, we can, and we'll just do a, a quick look through this list. Okay, and the list is incredibly important. But I want to I take something big picture out of this. First, the list, Haughty Eyes, all right? First of all, it's a hipster band name. If you're looking for a name, that's a pretty good one, Haughty Eyes. Um, but the thing about Haughty Eyes is it's looking with contempt at something, the better than, and it's saying, no, not at all. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. That should be a prophetic statement for our time. Sowing discord is the nature of our world right now, and God looks at that as an abomination. That's not what we're here to do, is to create disunity and just throw bombs out there for people to fight over. That's, that's unacceptable before the Lord. All of that is to say this. We're looking at this through the lens of humility. Do you let the Lord define the things that he hates and the things that he loves? 
Or do you feel like you get to define the things that God should hate and the things that God should love? There's a humility in the way of Jesus that comes to the word and says, okay, you are the authority and you get to define right and wrong. You get to define good and evil. You get to tell me the things that I should not be doing. And you get to tell me the things that I should be doing. Is there a basic posture in your heart that says, God, you're bigger than I am. You have more authority than I do. It's you who defines how I should be living. And I'm going to obey you. I know that might not seem like something that we tend to struggle with, but on the daily, we are making decisions about what God should and shouldn't think. And part of our job as followers of Jesus is to have the the humility that says, I'm not God. What God says, well, that's what I receive. The creator of the universe speaks. I'm a listener. The man who predicted his death on a cross was nailed to a cross and died. He had also predicted his resurrection. He rose from the dead and then ascended to glory. Anything he says, I'm a listener. I'm not an arguer, not pushing back, not challenging, not disagreeing. I'm not saying yes and then doing another thing in humility. I receive and I obey. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. It's not a list for us to pick and choose. Those aren't things for us to decide if we think they're a good thing for the Lord to hate. In humility, we go and say, okay, the Lord hates it. I don't want these things to have any part of my life. None. I don't want to look down on a single person whether it be for their race, for their economic status, for their political opinion, for their thoughts on masks. I can't look down at a single person with contempt because the Lord hates that. He hates haughty eyes. They're an abomination to him. So I want to get rid of them from my life. I want to confess and repent as often as I look down at somebody. I want to confess and repent as quickly as I can because the Lord hates when I do that. It's an abomination to him. It turns his stomach and in humility, I need to turn my way back to him. See, the way of Jesus is not just prescribing exactly how to live in every single moment of our lives. We can open the word of God and it can speak to every situation, but not because every situation that we live is described in, on every page of this book. But the wisdom of God, it seeps into and it covers every circumstance, every relational quirk, everything that's weird about what you're going through, everything that you feel is unique. God speaks to it. God speaks to it with power and authority. And he can bring you through whatever whatever you're facing. But we have to have the attitude that says, okay, I'm going to live the way of Jesus and I'm going to go to the word of God and I'm going to let the spirit speak into my life in this situation. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all that you're doing, for how you shape our lives, our hearts. You are 
gospeling us. You are applying the gospel to our lives and bringing a new way of living. Would you help us to walk in that way? Jesus, we need you. We need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.